Welcome to the Circle of Birth podcast. I'm your host and advocate, Ali Kranz. These podcasts are here to gather stories, people and information to better our understanding of the wisdom of birth and how we can reclaim our connections to birth from conception and beyond. You will hear stories not only from Australia but from all over the world, bringing together women, partners, midwives, doulas and all the people that have a birth story to share. So jump right in for this next Circle of Birth story. Welcome to the Circle of Birth and this is episode 36. Really excited to share another over EDD birth journey. This one's at 42 and a half weeks. Um, It's a beautiful, sweet, loving, gentle birth journey. Um, Very inspiring for first time mothers. Uh, Kristen uh, has had her first baby and she's still in her baby bubble. So Little Harvey's only nearly six weeks old when we recorded this um, beautiful story about, again, listening within and finding the support networks around you. Um, So this is what it looks like for a first-time mum going into labour at 42 and a half weeks. Enjoy. Hi, Kristen. Welcome so much to the Circle of Birth podcast. Thank you for taking your special six-week mama time, you have a little boy and he's only just turning six weeks old, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you're in your mum bubble still, so we've got some nice (laughs) hot off the press recording here. Um, So how about you just start off telling us about the rest of your family too and Sure. So um, my husband and I, we have been together for 10 years this year and living in the Southern Highlands in New South Wales. Um, we met when I was living in Newcastle, studying up there, and he's from Newcastle. And then we moved down here uh, about three years ago, which is a bit closer to home for me because I grew up in Berry. And my mum and dad are still there. Um, so definitely it was a move closer to family um, and really enjoying living here. And then um, I suppose we decided to um, add to our little family. We have a we have a dog as well, I suppose, who, who was our first fur baby um, and decided to add to our family about a year before Harvey was conceived. Um, so that in itself was quite a journey in terms of trying to conceive and, and it just not happening at the time. Um, so yeah, so as you said, like I, I had Harvey about six weeks ago, so still well and truly in that bubble. Yeah. Um, so the journey of trying to conceive, did you sort of go to any external, um, help or you just sort of kept trying and it took a while? Yeah, so um, I did end up seeing a fertility specialist. I wasn't – Mitch and I both did not want to um, pursue IVF or anything like that, but we were intrigued as to what might have been happening um, that that could have been preventing us from falling pregnant and then being able to kind of, I guess, be a bit more informed around that. So I did go and see – Dr. Hilary Joyce here in Barrel, and I had had some tests done and Mitch had some tests done and then I was going back for the review appointment when five days prior discovered that I was pregnant. Uh, I love that. I was just waiting <laughs> <Yeah>. for that. 
<laughs> so the review appointment ended up just being a confirmation of pregnancy, pregnancy yeah. um, which was great. And it turned out there was nothing, you know, nothing wrong at all. It just took a bit longer. Yeah. Um, but I know that it was certainly a challenge, you know, in that year. And, and what we both found was about six months in, um, you know, we both weren't weren't really enjoying trying to have a baby anymore. So we, we decided to, I guess, take a different tack and, and plan our lives as though we weren't waiting for a baby to join us and, you know, plan travel and, and whatever else. So we actually had plans to go to Japan with friends in, in February, just gone. And um, thankfully we're about a week out from booking the flights when, when we found out that we, we were pregnant. So, um, yeah, that was our tact in the end. That's awesome. They just have their own agendas, don't they? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. As you get down the track in this story, you have a pregnancy that went for 42 and a half weeks and that just probably tested out your patience again too. So I'd love to hear how that unfolds. So how was yeah, it def- finding out that you were pregnant after all that time? What was that moment like for you guys? So that was the first positive pregnancy test that I'd ever seen ever in my life. Um, but first what had happened was that I was so used to doing pregnancy tests and, you know, because I was very, um, I guess, keen to always find out. So I would always test before my period was even due and was so used to seeing them negative that when I first tested um, I didn't wait long enough on the test and I just kind of thought, oh, it's negative and I threw it in the bin. And it wasn't until later on in the afternoon, so I tested in the morning and in the evening I came home and it just caught my eye in the bin in my bathroom and I saw two lines. <laughs> and I thought, no, like maybe that's just one of those um, a false positive or something. You know, I know they're not accurate the longer that you let them go, but um, the next day I tested again and this time actually waited and saw those magical two lines appear. Um, yeah, so I woke Mitch up and, and told him and he was kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> like he wasn't even quite believing, I don't think. <laughs> so it wasn't until I had been to the GP and, and gotten a, um, a test done, a blood test, and then we'd come out of Dr. Joyce's and she had confirmed the pregnancy um, with the healthy <laughs> HCG levels that he really, truly believed. And I remember it was just like walking on cloud nine. Um, so, yeah, that was, I guess, the start of the, the pregnancy journey. But certainly trying to conceive had taught me that um, you can't control anything about this <laughs> and you just have to wait. And I suppose that was the story of the pregnancy as uh, well. Early <laughs> lessons learned for you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So talk us through the pregnancy and tell tell us your story. How did, how yeah, did it all sure. go for you? So the pregnancy went um, really well. I was one of those lucky lucky ones that had very mild um, nausea in the first trimester and, and it kind of settled and and through the whole pregnancy there was really no – there was nothing that I could really complain of. I, um, you know, worked full-time through it and um, up until 36 weeks and was seeing my midwife. So we would have home visits. She would come to my house and we would mostly just catch up and have a chat. I did lots and lots of reading um, throughout my pregnancy. Um, Ina May Gaskin, I, I read her books and, you know, watched 
anything that I could find on the internet for her um, and went to calm birth as well. So both Mitch and I went and that was particularly helpful for Mitch, I think, in terms of feeling more confident in what his role would be um, during the birth. And then, you know, would, would practice the, the visualisations and the breathing exercises. I probably got better at practising those diligently in the last, um, yeah, flat from 36 weeks onwards. Um, so, yeah, at 36 weeks thought that I'd had enough work and surely it would be not that long to go. Heading back a bit, what was your pull into deciding to get a, uh independent midwife and do a home birth? Yeah. Sure. So um, my my closest friend, she um, lives in Newcastle and she had had both of her babies at home. Um, she had been with the birth centre up there, which had the option of home birth. And I know her first one wasn't a planned home birth, but, you know, when the midwife got there to check on her, she just said, I'm not going anywhere and ended up having a really beautiful home birth. So that had been, I guess, my first real experience of home birth and hearing her stories it had really sat well with me that um, I'm a social worker by profession so um, I have always worked within the healthcare system but I suppose as an advocate for um, you know alternative um, strategies to to the medical model so home birth the more I read about it um, sat well with me but in the southern highlands we don't have a public home birth um, program. So I then had to look at other options, which um, meant engaging an independent midwife. And this independent um, midwife, by the way, is amazing. She scours the lands. She travels four or five hours, probably even more. So yeah, and I think I'm re- I feel really blessed that um, the pose they were they were two um, quite inspiring women that I've you know felt really grateful to be involved in because they've taught me a lot. And but they really also respected, um, you know, my choices and what I wanted. Yeah, and how so, did how did Mitch sort of go mm, with the home birth choice, and what was his sort of experiences of birth itself leading sure. to your pregnancy? Sure. So I suppose he really hadn't been exposed to many um, birth stories. He, I, I'm sure, would have heard his own mother's stories, which have. I suppose she had um, she had some complications during her birth, which then led to cesareans for three of her children. So that was Mitch's only real experience of birth. My own mother um, always spoke very positively about her births and has always said she would have had her babies at home um, had she been more informed on it at the time. So. Yeah, for Mitch, they were they were his. Um, that was, I guess, his context to birth. And then he'd heard my friend talk about her home birth, and he thought, "Oh, okay, what is this?" But we're still a little bit hesitant because of where we live, um, which is, you know, I suppose it's semi-rural. We're about fifteen to twenty minutes away from a hospital, and before I had fallen pregnant, he had seen quite a bad car accident and discovered how long it took an ambulance to get there because of um, the remoteness, which was just down the road from our house. So that was his hesitancy in home birth because he thought, well, if something goes wrong, it's not like we're just up the road from the hospital. 
Um, but I suppose through him listening to, you know, the research that I was doing, um, him talking to my friend and then talking to the midwives as well, um, he felt really confident in, in it being our choice. Um, and also he had, especially from calm birth, I guess, developed a philosophy that birth is a very normal process. Um, and we, there's no problem in going to hospital if, if that's indicated to do so. Um, but it, it isn't, um, there isn't a need for it straight up being that it is a normal physiological process. So, that was, I guess, his, his his journey was around, um, you know, being hesitant in the beginning, but now he's quite a strong advocate of home birth. Um, and I've heard him talk to, to lots of his friends. Um, and it's quite interesting hearing, you know, burly, coal miner men <laughs> talk about birth. <laughs> I can um, imagine. <laughs> but to hear him advocate for, I guess, the, the birth choice that we took um, and to feel excited about that and to feel, um, I guess, confident in the process was, was really great to see that. That's the kind of support that you want as a pregnant woman I feel absolutely absolutely yeah Yeah. all right so back to 36 weeks when you sort of um, downloaded all the research you could and felt it was time to just internalize it now and put it aside and trust the process how did that look for you for 36 weeks onwards so 36 weeks I was um you know I'd finished work and I was having a lovely time getting pedicures going to the movies um really focusing on you know doing my calm birth active like exercises every single day um you know having having regular appointments with the with my midwife and you know feeling feeling more and more confident and prepared and and um ready I guess for the birth and that kind of, that went on until about 40 weeks. <laughs> and through the whole pregnancy, I had always known not to get attached to a due date because I kind of believed in a due month that the baby would come anytime between 38 and 42 weeks. But, you know, as I've heard many women say, even, even so when that date comes around, um, it's hard not to then become even more, Eager, <laughs> I guess, for the arrival. It's a nice word, eager. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that date did roll around. Um, I had had quite a few, I guess, what I thought were were movements from about thirty eight weeks. In terms of, I thought it was maybe the beginning of labour, but in hindsight. I have no idea what that was. It was just my body and I was just being vigilant um, for any movement. But um, so between 40 and 41 weeks, it was okay. And I kind of still felt like, oh, yeah, like any day now and it's fine. And I was getting used to, um, you know, people were ringing and, and messaging and asking how I was going. And I was still, you know, felt okay about all of that and was excited and what was your daily, 40, daily routine like in that 40 to 41 weeks where you're just doing your sort of uh, your exercises and your – I'd usually wake up and, you know, tidy up the house and then I'd go for a big walk around the village where I live and get a coffee and chat with people. And then usually I'd go out for the morning, like whether that be go and catch up with someone or, um, you know, take myself to the movies or whatever it was. And then in the afternoon I would usually have like a quiet afternoon where I would do, um, you know, my calm birth 
exercises, which sometimes would go for up to an hour depending on what I was doing. And then I would usually do some reading and have sleep and, you know, generally was just really looking after myself very well. Just sounds like a lovely little routine to sort of hold space for yourself, doesn't it? To... Yeah, and I, I felt really proud of myself that I had looked after myself really well in those last weeks of pregnancy, that I was still walking and, um, you know, my mood was really good. I was excited. I was super well organised. <laughs> the nursery was all done and I'd done all the, washed all the clothes and I was well and truly ready for baby to arrive. Did you have all the birth? Um, you know, items set up? Uh, well, we, we had planned to use our ensuite, which has a, um, a big corner spa in it. So I didn't have to organise a birth pool or anything, but I certainly had <laughs> organised and my husband laughs at me because this is just me through and through. But I had organised like a, I guess, a home birth kit that had, um, you know, heaps of towels, some old sheets, um, <laughs> some paint sheets to kind of put down underneath sheets for the bed or the couch or wherever we were. And then I had made like a, a um, list of um, things that Mitch could do during labour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be helpful. Might, yeah, might I add that is such a great idea. But he found it helpful to have very specific instructions. Yep. Um, I think that kind of helped him feel, again, more confident. So I had all that set up and ready to go. Um, I had gotten some, you know, rubber mats to put in, in our spa because the floor is a bit hard. Um, but all of that was set up, ready to go, well and truly. And and I think I had set that up even by 38 weeks. I was ready for my baby to be born. And then 41 weeks arrived. <laughs> and the questions started coming about how long will they let me go, which I found really confronting. And I'm sure that every single person who asked me that was, you know, wish that they hadn't when I, <laughs> I then ranted at them about, um, you know, all of this being my choice and nobody's going to let me do or not do anything, <laughs> that it will all be up to me. Um, but I found that really, really difficult to deal with because um, then people started talking, you know, and they'd get that look on their face like, oh, gee, you're going a long way over and, and you could just see the, um, I guess, the fear around that with like a, I guess a, a, um, a preconception that, that somehow it's dangerous to, to go past 41 weeks. So between 41 and 42 weeks, I was very rarely responding to text messages or uh, phone calls. I kind of went very inward. I mostly stayed at home. Um, I had met, you know, gotten to know a lot of people in my village um, here and, and they, you know, were lovely and very well-intentioned in that every time I would come and see them, you know, they'd want to know how much longer and, um, you know, really I guess putting the pressure on around when this baby was going to be born. So I found that I couldn't even go for walks anymore without those questions, um, which I found very difficult to deal with because then I was trying really hard to, to sit with my instinct of just waiting and that it'll all be okay. Um, but other people's, I guess, anxieties were creeping in because I guess you don't hear of a lot of women going overdue anymore and you hear more and more about inductions um, when they do go overdue. So 
um, yeah, forty between forty one and forty two was the hardest time. Mm, must have been exhausting. It was exhausting, and that's why I just kind of I just stopped responding to people. Um, I remember my my close friend who I was still in contact with because she you know she was on the same page and was really understanding and very supportive. And she had contacted me saying that a, a heap of my other friends had contacted her on Facebook to ask if I was uh, if I was okay. Um, <laughs> so she sort of said, are you not responding to people? And I said, no, I'm not. Like I've just kind of stopped. I almost felt like turning my phone off. But in that time, you know, that was probably when I felt really vulnerable and I was finding that I was Googling and, and – stupidly clicking on stories that I shouldn't have. And so then those story stories were kind of creeping in. Um, and I found it hard to find positive um, stories about people who had birthed their babies at home and had gone post dates. So I suppose that's why, you know, I'm keen to share my story because it was difficult to find those stories, particularly in Australia. One site that I did find, which was um, a forum on the UK Baby Centre website, for it was on their home birth forum, and they had set up um, a page that had people telling their overdue um, home birth success stories and it was just pages and pages and pages of people um, who had had very successful positive birth stories at home um, and had gone you know up to 44 weeks in some cases so I kind of just trolled through those and and um, you know would just kind of soak that in at any chance that I got and the other thing that I found really helpful at that stage was actually researching the studies um, that look at um, post post dates birth. And one article I started with was Gail Hart's article on midwifery today. It's called A Timely Birth. And she had looked at and reviewed a heap of studies that had been done. And then I was able to um, click through to those studies as well. And I found that really reassuring that um, a lot of the hospital policies around post-dates pregnancies uh, are based on um, a study that happened in the 1950s that showed um, an increase in, in risk past 42 weeks. Um, but it had been so minor, like it had gone, yeah, it was very it was a very minor risk increase. Um, and it was in the 1950s, so there were so many things that are different back then and then she looked she, she looked at the more recent studies that were much more positive and um, you know I found that there is quite a big campaign that's especially being led by Ina May Gaskin around 43 weeks being considered term so all of that I just soaked in um, and that was really helping me to um, I guess stick with my instinct and to fight back any other anxiety that there might have been. And how about um, uh, the midwives? They would have been visiting probably weekly at that point. Yeah, weekly. And, um, you know, they were on the phone as well whenever I needed them. Um, but they were also really reassuring and really, um, I guess, reaffirming of, of what I wanted to do. You know, they, they were saying these are your options. You can go to the hospital and be induced. You can go in for monitoring. You can do all of this. But were really helpful in educating me about, um, I guess, what all of that meant. And 
were reassuring me that if, you know, I had really great fetal movement and while ever that was there in that moment, then it, it was a really good sign. So they were kind of, even though I wasn't seeing them as regularly, when I would see them, um, you know, in terms of I sell them once a week and then there was a whole, there's many hours outside of that that, you know, your mind can get away from you. It's so but, true, yeah. <laughs> But every time I would have an appointment, I would come away feeling so reassured and so, um, you know, I, I guess um, rejuvenated in in what I wanted. So, yeah, they were great. And I remember one appointment, I think it was at 41 weeks, um, when, when does it get to a point where we can't do a home birth anymore? And she was like, what are you talking about? She was like, well, as, as always, the plan is we'll go to hospital if it's indicated. So it was kind of like, oh, phew, because I, you know, really had wanted a home birth and as, it, as the days were rolling on, that was what I was becoming fearful of, that that was just going to be taken away from me purely because of a date. Um, so they were really great in terms of that respect and just saying, you know, let's go ahead as normal and we'll just keep, keep checking in. Yeah. So... 42 weeks then. Pops yes. <laughs> the 42 weeks arrived. And you're still pregnant. Um, How was it waking pregnant. up on day 42? Well, no, sorry. It was probably 42, 42 plus one that yeah. it was the worst <laughs> because my mum had had both me and my brother at on 42 weeks exactly. And so I had been like, well, I'm definitely not going past 42 because mum didn't. <laughs> so I had um, gone for a scan on the morning of 42 um, and that brought so much relief that I could see um, that everything was actually functioning really well. My placenta was looking good. The cord was looking good. The baby was looking good. Um, and I, I remember walking out of there just, just, it was, again, it was just like the same feeling of when we first found out that, it was a positive pregnancy test. It was just like walking on cloud nine. Like I felt so reassured and I thought, you know, okay, I, everything is okay. It's, it's okay to keep going. Um, but yeah, then the next day came <laughs> and then the day after that came. <laughs> and then the day and after then, that. <laughs> yeah. And then the day after that. And I had remember I had said, you know, I'll definitely have a baby by Easter. And by this stage it was Good Friday. And <laughs> and that was 17 days over past my date. And I thought, I don't know what we're going to do here. Like I just I felt, you know, confused, I guess. And I remember driving out to see my midwife for the second time that week. Um <laughs> because I had just wanted to go for a drive to get out and I, I wanted to go and see her. And I said, you know, I need to know what what you think that we should do. Like I need a plan in place because at this stage I feel like I'm just going to go back to work next week and we're just going to forget that any of this ever happened because <laughs> I just felt like I was going to be pregnant forever. And so, you know, she spoke to me and I said, look, I, I'm not that comfortable going past 43 weeks, so what What are my options? So she spoke me through um, induction at that stage and we'd, made, we'd kind of hatched a plan that if I was still pregnant a week later, then I would go to the hospital for an induction. And I remember driving away feeling like that's definitely not going to happen, so I feel fine. 
So, so, so that sort of locking in that induction maybe reassured you a little bit that there was some sort of um, plan there that you could look towards but then you had that space in between to say, right, <laughs> enough, <Yeah>. enough. <laughs> exactly. And I just thought – I remember thinking – I've never met anyone that's gotten to 43 and a half weeks, so that's not going to happen to me. So I'm, I don't even need to think about it and I can just focus on my home birth, <laughs> which was ridiculous. But that's just how I felt at the time. And, you know, again, through the whole pregnancy, I, I'd always heard all the um, old wives' tales about pineapple and raspberry leaf tea. And I'd always said, no, 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 baby will come when it wants to. And that day I got home and I remember sitting, bouncing on my exercise ball while eating pineapple, drinking raspberry leaf tea, and I had a hot curry on the stove. Oh. <laughs> By that stage, I was like, I'll do anything. So that night I um, remember waking up at about 1 a.m. and I got up to go to the toilet and had felt like a dull kind of pain in my lower abdomen, but in my sleep I hadn't thought anything of it and had gone back to sleep but was woken up about an hour later by a, a quite significant tightening around um, my lower abdomen. And I just kind of lay there going, I think this is it. And then, and but I, I was, you know, still going, oh, I don't know if it is or not. I've never felt these feelings before. And, yeah, and then 15 minutes later it happened again and then another 15 minutes later it happened again. So I woke Mitch up and said, oh, I don't think you're going to work today because he works weekend roster and um and he was like okay well I'll go back to sleep and so he went back to sleep and I tried to go back to sleep but was so excited that I ended up just getting up and I think I had something to eat and sat there and watched television and um timed the contractions and at about 5 30 I thought I'd head out for a walk um so I woke Mitch up and and then it kind of all stopped (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there was nothing. There was no sensation for about two hours. And I, I remember saying to Mitch, oh, sometimes this happens. Um, you know, it kind of just fizzles out, so let's not get too excited. But we went for a beautiful walk um, around the, the village. And on Easter Saturday uh, here in Burrowang, they have markets. And so, you know, the usually very quiet village was quite a buzz with people, but it was the most beautiful morning. There was just a fog over the paddocks, but the sky was clear and the sun was coming up beautiful pink and it was just this crisp um, coolness in the air and came home and, you know, I thought I'd get back into bed and try and back to sleep, but was again woken by another contraction. And from that point on, they um, were about oh, between anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes apart, quite a regular um, so I just spent the day kind of pottering around and I made some brownies and we had a nice lunch together and I was just practicing, um, you know, my breathing exercises whenever a contraction would come. And then at about three o'clock I decided to get back into bed to try to have more of a rest. So I thought, Oh, how long is this going to go on for? Like it's been, it's been 13 hours already. I thought that, um, you know, things would have amped up a bit more. And I'd gotten back into bed and the next contraction was quite strong. So I'd called Mitch in just to come to to rub my back. Um, and at that point my waters broke and um, I said, okay, well, we better be in and let her know. And she kind of just listened to me for a while and 
Um, she said, you know, you sound like you're coping really well. Give me a call back and let me know how things are going and, and I'm not far away so I can head over whenever you're ready, um, which was great to just have that that reassurance there. Um, so so Mitch time, ran, what time was this? Oh, so this was about 3.30 in the okay. afternoon. Yep. Um, so I had had the first contraction at 2 a.m., and, you know, that, yeah, had, had been quite irregular through the day at 3.30. My waters broke while I was in bed. Um, and so Mitch had run the bath for me and um, I'd gotten in and he'd set up the room. I'd put some music on and put some candles on. Um, and from that point on, it got a lot more regular and a lot more intense. Um, so the contractions, I think, were about anywhere between three and five minutes apart. And, um, yeah, and I was really working through them but found the water just so oh, – I remember when I first got in and I just said to Mitch, that feels so good. Like it was just the best feeling mm-hmm. that I couldn't have ever imagined that it was going to feel like that. That, yeah, it was a really good feeling. So many people say that. Yeah. I, I understand it too. It's like euphoric. I can't even describe it. Oh. One of the top ten feelings that I've – really <laughs> is. <laughs> I did not expect it. Like I just expected it to feel like every other bath that I've ever had, you know. But when I got in, it was just like magic. And so I just kind of relaxed into the water and um, the bathroom kind of looks out on on all the trees in the yard. So I was just kind of looking at those and still, you know, using my breathing exercises. Um, and there was still a lot of excitement in, you know, both of us saying we're going to meet our baby soon. And then the other thing that I had um, been using as well was was visualisation and one of the strongest images that, that came, and it probably starts, sorry, earlier on in the pregnancy. So in the last kind of, especially the last two to three weeks, I had been really drawn to the ocean, um, which is about 45 minutes from where we live and I had just wanted to go there quite a bit and even just sit there and watch the waves but I had really wanted to be in the water um and it had just happened that at that time the water was quite rough um but I had gone in anyways and was and just really wanted to be under the wave and just really feeling the sensations of the wave coming over me and when I was then in, when I got it into the the bath, and um, you know the intra- the contractions had come quite intense. That was the image that um, kept coming up was being underneath a wave and watching the wave go over my head. Um, so I kind of sat with that every time a contraction would come. I would visualize it as a wave coming in, and then me diving under it and holding onto the sand while it went over. Um, and that was a really powerful image. So, yeah, I suppose that was the the thing that went through my head um, lots of times was was that this is intense but I can do anything for two minutes at a time. And so whenever a contraction would come, that that was the image that would come up would be the the wave and then um, I would be talking to myself, you know, in my mind just saying I can do anything. And I even remember at one stage that, I had kind of had an image of, of all the other women around the world that were in that were in labor as well and birthing their babies and, and feeling really connected to to women at that point. Um, that had come into my into my mind a few times, but 
but most mostly it was it was quite a um, mindful, grounded moment where I was just with that that sensation at that point in time. I, I remember holding on to um, either Mitch's hand or the bath tap and the um, and the windowsill and being aware of the tension that was in my hands and trying to relax them, which would hopefully then relax the rest of my body. Um, but I think that Mitch thought that I was going to pull the bath tap, the tap off. <laughs> so he, he was like also kind of holding on to it. And then it got to a point where I think it was about five o'clock. And so we had just kind of continued with the two of us in the bathroom and, and not really, I hadn't, I wasn't really talking and just really focused on what I was doing um, with, with music on in the background and just Mitch's presence there. And then Mari arrived at about six um, and she kind of just came in and checked on me and, you know, took my blood pressure and, and checked the baby's heart rate and everything was okay, was was going well and she was just really calm and, and reassured me and said how great I was doing. And then, you know, she just she just went and sat out in our kitchen or prepared her stuff, whatever she was doing, and just left us to it. Um, and I did have a secondary she she arrived and um and at some point must have been around seven o'clock I must have been approaching transition um and and I had vomited a couple of times but I remember in my head thinking oh yes like um I know that that's a sign of of transition so I was really excited to be vomiting (laughs) because I felt like yes the baby's going to be here soon um, and at that point on, the contractions spaced um, were spaced longer apart um, and my body started, I guess, involuntarily pushing. And Mari must have heard the, the change in my voice and had come back in and was just kind of watching to see what I was I was doing and asked me if I was feeling a bit pushy. And I'd said, oh, you know, my body just seems to be doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> um but then she had noticed a little bit of um, blood in the water, which she couldn't have, she couldn't tell what it was. So she'd asked me just to hop out, um, just so she could check me out. But really, that was the best thing that could have happened, because in hindsight now, I wasn't, um, I guess, pushing in an effective way while I was in the water because I couldn't properly feel the sensation. Um, and once I got onto the bed, then I kind of felt what I needed to be feeling to be able to to move, you know, baby down. And Murray checked me and everything was going well and then she just coached me a little bit in how to push because I was still very much vocalising, um, which I guess meant that I was pushing into my throat rather than um, down into my bottom. And... But once she sort of gave me some some tips, then I was I was good to go. Um, that was probably the most challenging part of the whole labour was actually pushing because I found that the adrenaline that was in my body then, in between pushing, was causing me you know to to shake and I really had to work on coming back into myself. And I remember Murray saying that, "Come back into yourself now, Kristen. Come back." And then I would have to focus on my breath and get my breath back and. Um, ground myself again in between so but I could definitely then again once I started to feel um, I guess that I don't know people call it that ring of fire 
um, once I started to feel that, I was like, yes, like that's that's the baby's head coming. I know exactly what that is. And that, again, like just pushed me on um, to keep going even though it was quite difficult. And then all of a sudden his head was out and his body was out and he was on my chest and he was crying. And I just looked down and I kind of just felt I was almost in disbelief. Like I remember just looking at him saying, you're here. Like, I can't believe you're here. Um, but that was that was pretty amazing, that feeling of him being there and hearing him and hearing his voice um, and just looking at him. It was, it was like time stopped. Mm, it's like that moment of you, you sort of like that, you know, like you said, the ring of fire was there and you're like, oh, yes, you know, getting something. Yeah. And then next minute you're lying back with a baby on you. and Yeah. <laughs> like it just seemed to – take a long time because I was pushing for a long time like I was pushing for a good hour at least um and I I remember I kept saying to Murray I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere and she was like you are like you are I can see the head coming um and then all of a sudden he was there (laughs) (laughs) and it felt like it had just happened even though you know it didn't and and the whole labor and everything had felt like that there was no sense of time through the whole thing that it you know, had just gone so quickly, mm, even though it had been 20 hours. <laughs> and how was Mitch um, after that? Yeah, he was, He was. I think, in, you know, as much um, disbelief as what I was. He was just kind of staring at Harvey and, you know, I remember seeing tears in his eyes and he had just, he had, um, yeah, he was just, he was just watching and, couldn't kind of believe that he was there and he'd always said that he wouldn't cut the cord, <laughs> that he was, you know, um, scared, I guess, of, of hurting, you know, me or, or Harvey. But then when, you know, when it came to it and we waited for the um, cord to stop pulsating, um, you know, Mari said, do you want to cut it? And he went, oh, okay then. So he cut it um, and then I just kind of gave a little a little push and the placenta came out Um and the midwife just inspected it, which it was a little bit calcified, which they said was, you know, quite expected at term. Um, Harvey, I suppose, was quite dry for, um, but I, again, was it was expected to be like that. Um, so he definitely was forty-two and a half weeks. There was no <laughs> mixing up dates or anything like that. It was like a um, nice ripe fruit, ready to exactly. Eat. He was, and he fell off that tree when he wanted to. So. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I had wanted. He was he was eight pound six, and born at quarter past ten at night. So so that was from what two in the morning the previous day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, two in the morning that day. Yeah, so twenty right. hours. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well done, Mama. Yeah. <laughs> and so, how did you go after that? So the midwives just tidied up and. Yeah, and to it, and how was your postpartum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. So, um, I mean, obviously, I'm still in it. I was just going to say how I should say how it is that going. So yeah, they just um, you know tidied up and and you know helped me get him to latch and saw that he could. And they went out and had a cup of tea in the kitchen, and I just kind of laid in bed with with Harvey and, um, you know, trying to get him to feed, but he definitely could. It's just that, you know, it's a whole new skill that we were both learning. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> so, 
and then, you know, Mitch bought me some toast and a cup of tea and Mari came back in and we just had a chat and she, she said to me, see, I told you we're going to have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, of course. And then I remember kind of saying, so what, you're just going to like leave me with him now? (laughs) Like I have to look after him now? Like, (laughs) Like kind of just a bit, I guess, overwhelmed at the responsibility of, now there's little babies with us and we're in our bed and um, in our own home and that was exactly what I had wanted it to be, that, you know, they, you know, bid their goodbyes after midnight and, you know, they were coming back in the morning to check on me and then there was just Mitch and I and Harvey and we were just lying in bed just looking, just staring at him. <laughs> did you sleep um, a wink? <laughs> I don't think I did. No, no one ever does, do they? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think I did. Mitch did. Mitch was exhausted. But, um, no, I was just buzzing. And then in the morning, you know, got to ring everybody and let them know that he was here um, and send text messages and whatnot, which, you know, everyone was over the moon that this baby was finally here. And then, yeah, so probably for that first week, we really, we had some visitors on the first day and the second day, just from just our family, our close family. And then we didn't have any other visitors for the week. Um, So it was just kind of getting to know Harvey and getting to know feeding and, and all of that. And um, yeah, so that, that week, I suppose I would describe it as euphoric that, that it was just like, wow, like, I can't believe he's here. And and I felt so good. I had gone out to get coffee on day two, I think it was. Um, and I just wanted to be out and about. Some, some women I know like to stay in and that's how they connect with their baby. But for me, it was more, I wanted to be out. Um, and that's how I was connecting with him. And so, you know, I, was, I went out for lunches and, and things like that in that week. Um, with just with Mitch and Harvey and then after that's kind of just been I guess much of the same um, but with more people so going to see you know friends and family and introducing him and doing that at a really nice pace um, yeah yeah and so that's the story yeah and so he yeah so we said before he's nearly six weeks and you've just got your last checkup with the midwife coming up soon so yeah so I mean I have had some um I guess complications in in that I have a prolapse um that I've discovered in the past week so I will need to go um I'll have to start physio for that, um, which was a bit of a shock, I guess, because, you know, again, it's not really something that people talk about um, and I hadn't expected it as a first-time mum. You know, Harvey was eight pounds six, which I I don't consider overly huge. (laughs) Um, So I hadn't really expected that. Um, but I feel really confident and the physio that I saw is really confident that, um, we can get back on track with it and that it will be okay, um, for future pregnancy. Um, but that will just take some work, I guess, around, you know, physio and potentially a pessary and, um, I guess just looking after it. So that's sort of been, you know, I, I kind of got through pregnancy and the birth and it had all kind of come off 
as I had hoped it would and I sort of felt home and host and I probably didn't prepare for what could happen afterwards as well as I prepared for the birth. Um, so in hindsight, I definitely wish that I had been more focused on pelvic floor and uh, maybe even seeing a physio through pregnancy to kind of stay on top of that. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, I guess, another lesson that I've learned and we'll get on top of it now. Thank you so much. I would love to sort of finish this story off um, and talk about your work. Yeah. Um, so you're a mental health social worker. And yeah, that's right. Work independently as well. Yeah. Um, what I would love to just talk about in just to sort of raise a, awareness around this is dealing with maternity care and pregnancies and birth. Um, you primarily sort of deal with um, sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, do you just want to like sort of take us through that and how it looks? Because I know, you know, I've heard a few stories of things being triggered after sexual abuse and it's just good to raise awareness around it and see what people can do to get support um, during their pregnancy journey. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I work in private practice and my background is in sexual assault, so I still do provide a lot of sexual assault counselling but also did my master's in sex therapy. So um, I guess I specialise in those two areas and certainly one of um, something that is really common for women who have experienced an assault sometime in their life is that it's often re-triggered through birth um and yeah i guess it's it's around you know that area the 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 area has been uh, violated in the past and um i suppose having it you know the genital area being focused on again in such a way is quite re-triggering that you know you usually have um somebody um, or just a baby coming through there is is something that not you know lots of women haven't experienced before or even if they have experienced it you know whatever psychological process that they might have around that can then be very re-triggering of any abuse that they've um that they've experienced in their life and and even for women who haven't experienced assault often just having um a baby can then lead to different difficulties with sex because it's a whole different sensation. Um, their libido changes, their, their touch needs change. So that's certainly something that I see a lot of uh, is women who um, find that they're, they're experiencing difficulties with their sexual functioning after birth um, and there's the changes that come along with that in the relationship. And um, I suppose the thing is with that is that you know, we're, we're all told to kind of go at your own pace and everything and, and lots of time, that's different for everybody. Some women, you know, feel up to having sex again two to three weeks after birth, whereas for other women it might be two to three months after birth and that may or may not be um, suited to your relationship. You know, obviously there's still intimacy needs and, and you know, trying to maintain a relationship in amongst caring for a new human being. Um so, yeah, I suppose that that's definitely something that I, I see a lot more of um, in my work. Um, but, yeah, and it's also very common for um, sexual assault to be then re-triggered through birth experience as well. So is there something there that you could work with, with, say, primary healthcare 
um, people where, you know, you could work together um, sort of case by case where, you know, into the maternity care and birth that you could do certain measures like, say, uh, not having cervical checks or, um, yeah, I don't know, even a male presence maybe might trigger some things. Is there, is there sort of ways around that? that can I think it really, yeah, like, I mean, it really depends on what the woman is comfortable with and it, it really is about supporting her to be able to explore and then communicate what her needs are. So, you know, just because somebody has experienced an assault doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be uncomfortable with, um, you know, um, male health professionals or doesn't mean they're going to be uncomfortable with an internal examination, but then it might also. And it's really about supporting that woman to find her voice, to, to be able to communicate what she wants and to feel comfortable to do so and not feel as though, um, you know, she's she's even outing herself as a sexual assault survivor um, just because she opts for those things. So that, I suppose, is where the work is, is in actually helping women to have a voice and to be able to feel confident in their voice and not have to make any um, justifications for what it is that they're choosing to do. Um, and really that that's the work because I suppose, you know, sexual assault itself is such a um, – a violation of, of a woman's control over herself and, and, um, and power. And that's how it is. It's a, it's a, that's the type of crime that it is. It's about power and control. So, so the work really is in getting her to, um, to feel empowered and to be able to, to make the choices for herself and communicate it without any apologies for it. Beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that and just really important work. Definitely. So how about um, just maybe a little sentence or two for first-time mums? I've, I've just found this story very inspiring for um, especially for first-time mothers. Um, you broke down a lot of barriers and really looked within and found a lot of intuition here and I just think this would be a great story to share um, especially for first-time mum and for people that are going over the big 40-week EDD. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have, I have in my notes here from you that we're just two average people who decided to have a baby and I just love that. And <laughs> I think it's a beyond average story and a lot of support around you and, you, again, you know, no, ma- no matter what sort of where or who or whatever, you just you sort of rallied that support around you and... Um, yeah, you sort of, you did it. Yeah. (laughs) And I suppose my lesson is that, is to trust instinct and to, you know, um, find the, the research. So, you know, educate yourself that backs up your instinct because instinct is one thing, but being able to communicate that to a health professional, um, is a different thing. And you have to know the language, you have to speak the language, to be able to, um, I guess, you know, communicate what it is that you want to need. So that's been my biggest learning is to actually trust what I know but then educate myself so that I have the language to communicate it. Beautiful. Thank you, Kristen. Yeah. Thank you, Mitch. Thanks so Thank much you, for baby. having me. Thank you, baby Harvey, for your contrib- yeah. contribution. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Ali, and thanks for the podcast. Did you connect with this episode? Then head over to our website, circleofbirth.com. 
There you'll find show notes, pictures, resources and potentially connect with today's storyteller. Don't forget to sign up to be updated with new empowering episodes and content. Help the show grow by contributing a tip in the jar to make sure we can continue to better the podcast and connect more and more to the wisdom and birth and each other. Hey, and don't forget the iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we empower. We empower.